The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Monday, March 20th, 2023. Beautiful day here in the Auburn Opelika area. A little chilly, but the sun is shining, and it's a beautiful day as we have so much to talk about on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you for the next two hours right here on ESPN 106.7. And man, what an exciting weekend it was in college basketball of the NCAA tournament. Friday night when we went off the air, it wrapped up the first round. And then Saturday and Sunday was the second round of the NCAA tournament. And I don't know about you guys, but it seems like it really extended out it seemed like it took a long time to get all these games played I don't know why it's the same amount of days as it always is but seems like there were it just took a long time in a good way though in a good way I enjoyed watching the games it was a lot of fun and man upset city we knew it was going to be crazy but I just don't think we could have expected what we saw in this tournament Carter it was just it was unbelievable it's been insane and we knew it would be going in just because like things are so wide open because there were no dominant teams in college basketball this year. I mean, I think the closest you can say right now is that Alabama team with the way that they've uh, looked in the first two games. Um, really, really disappointed. It felt like with about 1650 in that Alabama-Maryland game. Maryland's in the game. Mm-hmm. The body language of Maryland is like, we can't beat these guys. From an and experienced like Maryland they, team at that, a, exactly, a senior-led a team. Yeah. It bothered me watching their body language it felt like they accepted defeat way too early and just did not fight, and that's why you—that's how you lose by 22 in a game that you were in. You were in at halftime. You were in coming out of halftime. Um, but yeah, I was—I was upset with the fact that it really felt like a Maryland team quit in a matchup that I thought that they could have shown a lot more fight in. Were you upset because that's who you had winning in your bracket? Well, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm one of the. Um, however many million people watching this tournament outside of uh, the Alabama fan base that is wanting that team to lose more. I mean, they are the villains of this tournament. Yeah, and they are the favorite to win the national championship as of right now the newest odds that came out today Alabama has the best odds to win the national championship as we get into the sweet 16 we're going to break all these games down go over some of the biggest scores uh, the big one from Friday night and then we'll get into the second round games yes that does include the Auburn game versus Houston that happened Saturday night in Birmingham we'll get to that a little bit later on in today's show here's the rundown for today we'll talk all these basketball games we'll break 
break down Auburn versus Houston. We'll break down all of these uh, matchups. We will reseed these teams as well, talk about who has the best odds as of right now in our minds to win a national championship with just 16 teams remaining. Started with 68, and in a matter of days, we're down to just 16. We'll talk about who has the best odds to win it all as of right now. No Joey Blackwell today uh, from Bama Central. He's caught up in a few meetings, and so we will pick back up with him next week. But coming up in hour number two, we'll have Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network get his thoughts on Auburn basketball as their season comes to an end. Also talk about a very disappointing weekend again for Auburn baseball and Auburn softball. Mm -hmm. Tough weekend on the diamond for both of those squads. So we'll get his thoughts on all of that. Uh, You have Auburn Gymnastics, who competed in the SEC Championships and now in the NCAA Championships. So we'll get his thoughts on everything going on with Auburn Athletics as we inch closer to football season as A-Day coming up in just a couple of weeks as well. So Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network will join us in hour number two. But until then, phone lines are open all show long until then. 334-321-1390. That is the number to put you through to us. Call in, be a part of the show, and be on the line. We'd love to hear from you and what your uh, thoughts are on the Auburn loss versus Houston, any of the other games that happened over the weekend in the NCAA tournament. How's your bracket looking right now? Probably not too hot as nobody had this Sweet 16 predicted. There's no shot. My Kansas uh, bracket with them winning a national championship, that one hurts. Yeah, my Marquette brackets were doomed. Thank you for bringing that one up. I forgot about my Marquette bracket as well. Yeah, All my my hope relies on the the Texas bracket. No, mine are all destroyed. All of them. I mean, I had... I had Kansas and Marquette winning in most of them, and those are out. And the ones that I was in bracket pools that uh, had a little something sprinkled on them with some winnings, those are out the door too. Yesterday, I had a chance to really separate myself into the lead, and then Marquette decided to do what they did and lose. And so we'll talk about that. We'll uh, we'll talk about everything else going on in the world of sports. But again, give us a call, 334-321-1390. And I don't think there's any better place to start than Friday night after we went off the air. It was late Friday night in the NCAA tournament as the first round was wrapping up. And for the second time in the history of the NCAA tournament, a one seed gets taken down in the first round by a 16 seed. Fairly Dickinson takes down one seeded Purdue, 63-58. A Fairly Dickinson team, Carter, wasn't even supposed to be in the tournament. The argument that we made a week or so ago about how Mary Mack got screwed out of being in the NCAA tournament and here's Fairleigh Dickinson who said we'll prove why we should be here they take down Purdue the second time in the history of the tournament credit to Fairleigh Dickinson the the way that they backed their way into this tournament because the rules that uh Mary Max in their fourth year after transitioning from division two to two division one so it's the last year they cannot make the tournament they win the conference tournament Fairleigh Dickinson is in the tournament in a play-in game that they were underdogs in, mind mm-hmm. you, against a uh, an under 500 Texas Southern team was a two-and-a-half-point favorite against them. So that tells you if you were going to power rate these teams coming into this tournament, probably fairly Dickinson was 68th out of 68. And they um, take it to... Uh, well, they win that game against Texas Southern. Then they just take it to that Purdue team, and they showed amazing fight. They wanted it more. They wanted it more. Absolutely. On so many different levels, um, this was 
the epitome of that David versus Goliath game. I mean, besides Zach Eadie's out there. I mean, that's seven four three and a five pounds, but you know, an effective height. So in terms of the height that actually plays in these games, Purdue is the number one effective height team in the country. Do you know where Fairleigh Dickinson is? They're way down there, buddy. 363rd. Last. That is the shortest team in America beating the tallest team in America. A team that should not have made this tournament because they did not win their conference tournament. They had to play a play-in game that they were underdogs in. They won that. And they got after those those guards for Purdue. Made them uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Uh, you had Grant Singleton and Dimitri Roberts... 5'8 and 5'9 guards in that game versus Purdue. They were lightning fast. They played so hard. They got so many good looks. And they just beat them. Yeah. They just straight up beat them. And look, Zach Eady, Zach Eady is going to be your national player of the year. He had 21 points and 15 rebounds on Friday night against Fairleigh Dickinson. He had to earn it. Man, they made him earn every single point and rebound that he got, and it just wasn't good enough. And you hold a Purdue team who I haven't looked at it, but I would say probably averages close to 80 points a game. They held them to 58 points, and they beat them 63-58 in the upset of the tournament. We thought, right, we thought it was going to be Princeton who beat Arizona. Nope. That was wrong. Fairleigh Dickinson said, give us a second. We want our chance. And Fairleigh Dickinson beats Purdue after the video came out of Fairleigh Dickinson's head coach. After they beat Texas Southern in round one, the cameras were in the locker room and he said, is that thing on? I want Purdue to see this. He said, he said, I don't want. Oh, that's right. I don't. He said, I don't want Purdue to see this. But the camera was on anyway. And he said, the more I watch this Purdue team, the more I think we can beat those guys. And sure enough, they went out on Friday night and they beat Purdue in round one of the NCAA tournament. So now Purdue joins Virginia as the two only programs, only teams to be beat as a one seed by a 16 seed in round one of the NCAA tournament. History was made on Friday night and good for Fairleigh Dickinson. And it's not like Fairleigh Dickinson lit it up from three or did anything crazy like that. They just outplayed them. They shot a little better. They're 39%. Purdue was 36%. They were 30% from three, Fairleigh Dickinson. They were 7 of 23 from deep. That's not great. That's really not good. Yeah. But you had Purdue go 5 of 26, just 19%. And Fairleigh Dickinson said, we're going to leave you wide open. If you hit these threes, you'll beat us. And Purdue started missing, and I think it got in their guys' heads. And I think this was the fifth game this year did a good three-point shooting on paper. Um, Purdue, a solid three-point shooting Purdue team shot below 20% from deep. But Fairleigh Dickinson, it's a story about effort because they got, a, as the shortest team in America, playing against a 7'4", 300-pound guy and the tallest team in America. They got 11 offensive boards. 11 of them. And they just... Showed that effort. They turned those Purdue guards over again and again and again. Purdue had 16 turnovers to Fairleigh Dickinson's nine. But credit to this team. Points in the paint. Fairleigh Dickinson got outscored by two. Yeah. 26 to 24. Well, it comes down to like you said. 
it's all about effort. They just wanted it more. And that's 100% fact. They just wanted it more than Purdue did, and they got it. We almost had a similar game to this the night before when you, Jack, and I were sitting there watching yeah. Northern Kentucky versus Houston, where Houston Houston doesn't have a Zach Eady, but they're way bigger, they're way longer, and they're way more athletic than that Northern Kentucky team. Jarris Walker looked like he had about 60 pounds on everybody on the court for, for, for Northern Kentucky. And if that Northern Kentucky team shoots at all, at all, because they go 5 of 34 from 3 or something it was insanely horrible. bad. Horrible. They shoot it all. They win that game. And they got a bunch of offensive rebounds in that one mm-hmm. because they wanted it more than that Houston team did. Which shows that in the NCAA tournament, in March Madness, you don't have to be the biggest team. You don't have to be the best shooting team. You don't have to have the best players. You don't have to have the best coach. But if you play your heart out and give it all you got, you have a chance in the NCAA tournament. And Fairleigh Dickinson got it done. And I do want to make it known, I predicted a one seed to lose in this tournament in the first round. I just picked the wrong one. I said it was going to be Houston. But a one seed did lose. I just picked the wrong one. <laughs> I did not believe in this Purdue team coming into the tournament despite them winning the uh, Big Ten championship, the Big Ten tournament. Uh, they, they won the regular season and the, and the uh, tournament. But it was not pretty down the stretch in the regular season. Teams started giving them trouble. They started. They lost to Indiana twice. They lost to um, – they should have lost to Wisconsin. They lost to a lot of teams that were – um, I mean, Indiana twice, Northwestern, Maryland, Indiana. Uh, it wasn't pretty against Wisconsin. It really wasn't that pretty against Illinois. It wasn't pretty against Penn State in the Big Ten championship of the tournament. Um, they were susceptible coming in, and Fairleigh Dickinson just got after them. And I think I don't think Purdue was ready for the 16 team to give them that much trouble. Talking about that Northern Kentucky-Houston game, Northern Kentucky – while being significantly smaller, got 18 offensive rebounds in that game. Still couldn't make a shot. They had multiple chances for possession. 28% from the field. Yeah, it was horrible. And 5 of 33 from 3. Horrible. So well, like 15% I said, at the, at the three-point line. Yeah, like I said, I predicted a one seed to lose. I said it was going to be Houston. You can make the argument that should have been Houston. But Purdue loses to Fairleigh Dickinson. And look, here's the problem with this Purdue team and this Purdue program under Matt Painter. This is nothing new. They lose to to very underrated teams and and very low-seeded teams a lot. This is a Purdue thing. The history of Purdue basketball under Matt Painter, they lose to double-digit seeds in the NCAA tournament. This is not Mm -hmm. a new storyline. And when it came to my bracket, the Purdue loss didn't really hurt me all that much because I had them losing to Memphis in the next round anyway. Now, Memphis didn't win, but that's okay. Memphis should have won that game. They should have. But now look at who is in the Sweet 16. FAU. They're in the Sweet 16. The scary thing about I knew that Memphis team was cooked when I saw them fighting in the uh, huddle with about five minutes left in the game. Yeah, that's normally not a great sign. (laughs) When Kendrick Davis started yelling at people and the guy shoved him in the back after it and was like, ah, this is When you're having to have your your own players separate each other in the huddle, look, I get it. The tensions are high and you want to win and you want to do things the right way and hold people accountable, but that's not the place to do it, man. Did Penny Hardaway hit anybody with that water bottle that he just chucked into the stands or he he at the end of the game he just throws that thing towards the baseline pretty hard i hope somebody got it and i hope that somebody shows up to 
a media day or something down the road and asks him to sign that. That that we see that stuff all the time. That would be legendary. By the way, I got a just a tough thing about this Houston team. Looking at that Northern Kentucky box score, Tremont Mark, who went for twenty six against Auburn and was unbelievable, two of eight. 0 for 4 from 3, 4 points against Northern Kentucky. That Mm. hurts Mm, to mm, see. mm. And now you look back at what could have been the first 16 seed over a 1 seed in this tournament. Northern Kentucky falling to Houston. And now the Cougars are into the Sweet 16 after they defeat Auburn on Saturday night. We got to get to our first break in hour number 1. When we come back, we'll continue talking the biggest games from over the weekend. We'll talk about the second round games. We'll start talking about Auburn and Houston. That'll be coming up a little bit later here in hour number 1. But we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. 334-321-1390. Your thoughts on the weekend of college basketball Auburn versus Houston and what to expect from the rest of this NCAA tournament we'll talk about that when we come back you are on the line on ESPN 1067 online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app let's get to the phone lines 334-321-1390 Terry you're on the line welcome in Hey, good afternoon, guys. How you hey, doing, Terry. Terry? Doing well, doing well. Guys, I really believe that uh, Miami's going to get Houston. Really? You think so? I do. I think Houston's living on borrowed time. I tend to agree. Like, nothing about this Houston team Scares has really me. impressed me. No. I mean, Tremont Mark hit a bunch of difficult shots on, on Saturday night. And, and give him credit. Really, it was really because impressive. He, did. he had a bunch of hard shots. Um, some of them were over some smaller defenders, and he took advantage of that. But when I watched that Houston team, really, the second half of that game, for a large portion of it, it wasn't basketball. Because you had a long stretch there where both ways, every time up the court, rest blowing the whistle for a foul, it turned into a free throw contest. And we know Auburn failed that with flying colors because mm-hmm. they would go 19 of 36 at the line. Janai Broom goes 6 of 16. That's how bad that was. Um, and I think in the second half, I think Houston goes 18 of 18 at the line, if I'm not mistaken. That's your difference in the game, is that they shot free throws better. And that's how they were able to distance themselves the way that they were in that second half. Well, I mean, they give Houston a lot of credit in the second half defensively, I guess. But I really think it was just Auburn being Auburn in the second half again. And I, unfortunately, that I think that is the the heavier side of that, where – you had Auburn score 23 points in the second half, and and it's a fair question, Terry. How much of it was Houston's defense, or how much, how much of it was Auburn just, like you said, just being Auburn? And I think it comes back to the free throws where, again, and we haven't gotten into this fully, and we are and we will, but Janai Broom going 6 of 16 from the free throw line that's unacceptable like that's obviously not good enough and the offense stalling for Auburn where you score 41 in the first half that's good for this Auburn team to score 40 and a half but absolutely yeah you can't go from 41 in the first half to 23 in the second half because Terry to me Houston did some defensive things and they adjusted but they didn't do that much adjusting to hold Auburn to 23 points no, their adjustments weren't near enough more than just it was Auburn being Auburn, quite honestly. Well, it's it's um, what we've seen out of this Auburn team all year is when they get out of their flow offensively, it mm-hmm. takes them forever to get back into any sort flow? of flow. Yeah, I mean, Terry, Terry they, they're five of, 5 of 11 from deep in the first half. They were shooting the ball pretty well, 55.2%. Like, they're playing good offensive ball. I really, even when Auburn was down very early in the game, 
I mean, I was, I was in the text with some people. I was like, I really like this Auburn offense. I like the possessions. I think Auburn's playing really well offensively. And then the second half, they get out of that flow. They go 4 of 24 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3, and 15 of 26 at the free throw line. Yeah, see, it'd be easy for me to get on here and rant and rave about Wendell Green. Y'all know how I feel about it. I don't have to state anything. But he went to OVC, OVC team for a reason out of high school. So that's all needs to be said there. Nothing against the OVC, but, but you know what I'm saying. It's not, it's, it is what it is. That's where guys like him go. Um, how different do you think the roster looks next year? And if they very. do revamp the backcourt, which I hope, I'm sorry? I, I said very. I think it looks very different. Okay, very different. Okay. Um, and the second part of that question is, if it does look very different, how? I don't expect Wendell Green and Katie Johnson to sit on the bench, but that's what they're going to do. Katie Johnson. Katie Johnson was your sixth man this year. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that would change for next year if he's back on the roster. I like. I just think that there's a lot of moving pieces. I think there's going to be more movement than I think people are expecting uh, with this team. I think there's going to be uh, some guys that choose to go a different way. I think there's some guys that may choose to try to. Um, pursue a pro career, whether it be trying to go in uh, the G League or the NBA draft or or go play professionally somewhere else. I think that there's going to be a big shakeup on this roster. You're, you've already seen Auburn making contact with transfers here over the last week or so. I think that's going to continue. I think that there's going to be a lot of turnover on this roster. I would like to see him get another big man and maybe play Broomore to fire for where he belongs. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's going to be interesting. And, Terry, I'll go ahead and let you know, this is a conversation that we will have uh, hopefully later on this week when, you know, we'll sit down and talk about this. We'll look at this Auburn roster and where it's at right now, what we think is going to change, what will most likely change, and what we would do differently with this roster, given who's coming in, given who is in the portal, could be in the portal, all that type of stuff. So, yes, I, I agree with Carter. I think the... The roster is going to look different, and that's a conversation that I hope we get to have later on in the week. Sure, and last thing, guys, real quick. Uh, Bruce Pearl uh, is a great coach and a great human being and has done a tremendous job at Auburn. But he's not beyond criticism, and when you when you take – he yep. was having a phenomenal game. Um, the point backup point guard, I'm losing – sometimes we're just kicking in. Trey, great, Trey Donaldson? Trey, yeah. Trey, Trey, uh, Trey what? Trey Donaldson. Donaldson, Donaldson. That's what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was having a great game. He pulls up, puts in guess who? Wendell Green. Now, guys, I don't, I don't know if there's any way to look at it, but all year long, Auburn's went through three, four, five minute stretches without scoring. I'd be willing to bet you guys a large sum of money that Wendell Green's been a part of those dry runs. More than likely, and and yeah. that's a conversation we're going to have two coming up yeah. in just a few minutes. Is breaking down this game, and that's going to be one of my main points. Is right. look, I know that Trey Donaldson wasn't great this year. But when it mattered most, his game t- stepped up and took took it to the next level right. for a couple of days. Right. And I don't know why he didn't get more minutes. And it is frustrating. And you're right, Bruce is a great coach. He look, we 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 all know that, right? We don't have to preface this every time we want to criticize Bruce Pearl. He's a great coach. He'll have a statue and all that. We get all of that. But you're right. He doesn't. It doesn't limit him to criticism and questioning from media, fan base, whoever. I question that decision. Why did Trey Donaldson not play more when obviously he was feeling it and his game had taken a step up? 
Well, Jacob, Jacob, a quarter last thing here. Um, how many times this year did you see? And I know I did. This is working, so let's get away from it. That bothered me. Yeah, that it, really bothered me because uh, several times they did this year. So mm-hmm. appreciate it, guys. You have a good day. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it, Terry. It's good to hear from you. Bring up lots of great points, and we are going to get into this Auburn and Houston game coming up uh, on the other side of the break. We got about a minute before uh, we get out of here for the bottom of the hour break, and we are going to talk this Auburn and Houston game, some of the other games around college basketball as well. But as we get into that conversation we'd love to hear from you our listeners 334-321-1390 on the phone lines you can call in give us your thoughts on Auburn Houston as we get into that conversation break it down and and I think that's extremely fair it's okay to question and criticize a coach and a program even if they are legendary even if they are hall of famers right Mm -hmm. Kentucky fans are questioning John Calipari today right they are questioning if he is still good enough to be the coach at Kentucky. Coach K got criticized. Roy Williams got criticized. Like, it happens. And it's okay just because you're a Hall of Famer doesn't put you above criticism. But you do have to realize what Bruce was dealing with on this roster. And I think that's a big part of it, too. And all of these talking points are going to be brought up when we come back. Talking about Auburn and Houston in the NCAA tournament. It's coming up. We'll break it down. Houston moves on to the Sweet 16, taking down Auburn 81-64 to in a game that the Tigers saw a 10-point lead at the half disappear, getting outscored 50-23 to in the second half. The one-seeded Houston moving on to the Sweet 16 in Auburn, looking to shake up the roster a little bit as Bruce Pearl and this coaching staff look to make some changes in the offseason. Give us a call, 334-321-1390. We'll talk all things Auburn and Houston when we come back. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes in to hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goetz, Carter Bird, as we get into uh, the painful, uh, very unanticipated conversation about Auburn and Houston on Saturday night in Birmingham in the round of 32 where Auburn had a 10-point lead over the one-seeded Houston Houston Cougars excuse me, and gets outscored 50-23. to in the second half, and Auburn's uh, tournament hopes, tournament quote-unquote run comes to an end, and Houston makes it to the Sweet 16. We'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on this game from Saturday night, 334-321-1390. What a tough loss for this Auburn team because we know about this team and we've known what this season has held, and We had gotten to the point where if Auburn even made the NCAA tournament, we were going to be pretty happy about it because there was a a dark time near the back half of this year where that was in question, whether Auburn was actually going to make an NCAA tournament. And then they go out and they compete against Alabama after getting blown out by Kentucky. You go and you compete with Alabama, and you beat Tennessee to end the regular season, and you're like, okay, this team's in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Let's see where this thing goes. Let's see what happens, because you can't have any expectations at this point 
for this team when they were coming into the tournament because you just didn't know what you were going to get and in the first round Auburn played a very skilled Iowa team they got a big lead yes they let it slip but Auburn never let Iowa truly come back and take the lead and for one of the few times this season Auburn closed out a victory and you felt good and at this point that was just icing on the cake you and Jack have talked about how you had sort of reset your expectations to get to the NCAA tournament and win a tournament game well Auburn did that Auburn did that in the year 2022-2023 and you get to this second round matchup as a nine seed against the one seeded Houston who had the chance to lose in the first round to a 16 seed Auburn was playing pretty good coming into this thing and I think Auburn fans felt pretty good we felt pretty good about this matchup with Houston and Auburn I was shocked that both the guards played and looked yeah as good as they did Mm -hmm. and that Um, was the thing the health of Houston was in question Auburn was playing pretty good all of that being said Auburn comes in they play well early uh, in this game they have the 10 point lead at the half and then Houston just does Houston things and they do what a one seed does with experience on the roster a good head coach they outscore Auburn 50 to 23 and they win 81 to 64 and Auburn is heading home from the NCAA tournament and so where I'm going with this before we break down the game specifically is the expectations had been lowered by us and I hope that Auburn fans had sort of done that too not in a bad way but being in a in a reality standpoint of realizing what this team was Mm -hmm. you get to the tournament you win a tournament game and you come up short against a one seed all in all given everything that's happened this year and everybody that's on the roster and everything like that it's not a bad year it's It's not not a bad year no it's it's not at all and I think that this um Auburn team I think if I think if you play back that second half against Houston, you get a better performance than what you got um, nine times out of ten. Auburn's not going to shoot 16.7% from the field. Auburn's not going to go 0 of 5 from 3. Auburn's not going to go 15 of 26 at the free throw line. Mm -hmm. Their defense is also going to be better. You're not going to have that Houston team shoot 50%. You're not going to have them go 4 of 10 from 3. You're not going to have them go 18 of 18 at the free throw line. So I know that the taste in Auburn fans' mouths is really sour. It's a bad taste in your mouth for how it finished. Uh, you couldn't hit your free throws. Um, it was ugly. Everything about it was not great to finish the game. And you felt bad about it. But we had a conversation after the Georgia loss. Could this team get to 9-9 in the conference? They get to 10-8. and They make the tournament. They win a tournament game, which was what we reevaluated and reset the expectations. You got to, I mean... You're always reevaluating. You're always resetting the goal, the expectation for the season. Auburn achieved what I thought they should achieve after we saw this team. After we saw early in the year when you saw the fact that you weren't sure how much better Wendell Green, how much better he was from last year to this year. Like I'm not sure how much truly better he was. You saw um the flaws in Janai Broom's game. When he ran into some physicality, he would struggle at times. Although he played very, very well for you this year. He's an all-conference guy along with Wendell. You saw the ups and downs of Alan Flanagan. You saw Zepp Jasper's offensive game really regress, and that was frustrating to see. Um, you saw Katie Johnson really go through it. You saw all of these things. You saw your five stars not pan out. They gave you nothing. You saw Dylan Cardwell at times struggle. 
All things considered, this is a heck of a coaching job by Bruce Pearl. It really is. Because this is not a great Auburn team. It's not a very good Auburn team. I think it's a pretty good Auburn team comparatively for the Bruce Pearl era. And I think you have to say that given that you did win a tournament game, yes. which the, the statement we made on Friday I, was, ask a lot of these big programs how hard it is to win a game in the NCAA tournament. I think tournament. it is a great coaching job by Bruce Pearl. Mm-hmm. A great coaching job by, by Bruce Pearl. But I think if you listen to his statements after the game, he knows this roster has to get different. Where he said, hey, look, I'm proud of this team, but I've got a very high standard. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to be recruiting tonight. Like He knows that whether it be for next year or the years to come, his roster has to be, has to be better. You look at, if you look at the teams, if you look at just the teams in the SEC that do a lot of roster management every year, look at what Alabama did from last year to this year. They cut all the fat. They got significantly better, and that's why they're the best team in this tournament. You look at um, a team like Tennessee, they still do some of that. They, they do, they've done, I think at times, Bruce Pearl's been too loyal to his guys. I think this year was in the new era of college basketball. I don't think you can do that. I think you have to go uh, push the envelope. You have to, whether it be push some guys to go play somewhere else, whether they get more playing time or just straight up processing somebody I think you've got to do that in today's game you look at Arkansas must does that has done that for years more than just about anybody that's why they're the most consistent team in the SEC they're one win away from another elite eight look and you're absolutely right and I'm going in on that is there's a reason that guys love playing for Bruce Pearl it's because he is a player's coach. He is a loving guy. He's not just your head basketball coach. He's going to look after you, and he's going to make sure that you are set up to do the right things in life and go in the right direction as a young adult when you come and play for him at Auburn. But I'm with you. I think there are times where he is too loyal to some of his players. He is too rooted in what he believes and what he thinks is successful, and The game of basketball, not just in college, guys, the game of basketball is changing. It is. It has changed right in front of our eyes. And that is why you have seen a lot of these, and I've made this statement on here before, that's why you've seen a lot of these older generation coaches step away from the game. Coach K has retired. Roy Williams has retired. Jim Beheim just retired. Like, there's a reason some of these guys, yes, they're old. Don't get me wrong. Kind of of that old guard, you know, who's still left. I think it's the guy who has probably the most fire to continue to uh, fight it out with this younger generation of coaches in this new era of college basketball because he wants – no, it's not even him. Larinaga's still there, and Larinaga's got a really good team. He's. I just made the, the U hand symbol in the studio, but you're not going <laughs> Larinaga? Okay. It's because he also wants another national championship because it's been 23 years since he's gotten one. Tom Izzo. Yeah. And he's sitting in the Sweet 16 right now. What a guy. What a and coach, And he's got a man. chance to get to an Elite Eight with one more win. What a coach he is. You want to talk about consistency. Michigan State with Tom Izzo. There's a reason they call him Mr. March. I mean, he is – it doesn't matter how good or bad his teams are. 
If he gets to the tournament, mm-hmm. don't bet against Tom Izzo. I did. I didn't bet, but I didn't have them going far in my in my bracket. Yeah. Do not go against Tom Izzo in the NCAA tournament. There's some stat that they had. I, I think it may be 24-7 now, which may prove that he's the best tournament coach right now in college basketball. I guess you could put Bill Self up there, but Bill Self is not with that Arkansas or with that Kansas team, which is really unfortunate. Which is why, which probably is why they lose a one-point game. I mean, you can't account for what Bill Self, the calming nature, the experience, the in-game management that he does. They're probably sitting in the Sweet 16 right now against mm-hmm. that UConn team if he's on the bench. But instead, we got to see another shirtless Eric Musselman, and just <laughs> love to see that. I'll I'll talk about him in one second, but but. I think there's some stat that's Tom Izzo on the one-day rest games. So your round of 32. Yeah, I saw this. Your uh, Elite Eight. I think he's 24-7. and seven it's, something, it's something ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and That's crazy. You talk about Tom Izzo. He cuts the fat off of his teams, and he goes and gets the better players and makes his teams better every single year. And he's a player's coach. Well, I mean, I, I think he does a really good job of like having guys stick through the program and developing them over time. I mean, you, you look at some of his teams. Yeah. Granted, he still goes and does that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about, uh, I think it was Hauser for Michigan State. When they beat Marquette, he started his career at Marquette, and he went off for like 18 against Marquette in that game uh, yeah. yesterday. Yeah, he he is he's legendary. But you're right; he's one of those older generation coaches. But he has adjusted to the game yes. of basketball, adjusting, and that's where I was and going he, with that. Bruce Pearl needs to do that too. I think I think you've got Tom Izzo that wants so badly to win that second national championship to validate that first one, and to I mean, he's already. A legend, but he'd go to a different tier of legend of guys who have won multiple national championships if he wins one. I think that's what he's there's still a fire burning there. I think in some of your older guys, your uh, your even Jay Wright, Jay Wright, yeah. Coach K, uh, Roy Williams, uh, Jim Bayheim in this new era, I don't think that they had the fire and the willing to go do the stuff day to day because you're recruiting not only high school ranks, you're recruiting college ranks, and you got to keep an eye on everybody because of the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. There's about nobody in the country that's better built for that era of college basketball than Eric Musselman at Arkansas. And right now, he is one win from taking Arkansas to three straight elite eights. That's pretty daggum impressive. And look, Musselman is not the most likable guy in college basketball. There's a lot of people that do not like Musselman, but you can't argue with results, man. And that's one thing that results speak for themselves and no, they don't have a Final Four or a National Championship yet, but if he keeps doing what he's doing, that will come unless some bigger program comes in and swoops him up, which I'm sure there's going to be some phone calls from some pretty big programs that are interested in Musk from Arkansas. It's the same thing with Nate Oates at Alabama, where you're getting these guys that are coming up through the ranks, and they do what it takes to win basketball games. They do what it takes to make runs in the NCAA tournament. And I think when you look at this game for Houston, or this game for Auburn against Houston, and you look at this season of 2022 and 2023, you can point out some things that Bruce Pearl didn't do well, and it's easy for us to sit here on the mic and talk about it, but 
we've watched basketball for a long time and, and we're young but we've watched it for a long time yep. and there are things that we can sit here and point out us fan base people outside the program you can point at certain things and say this has to change this needs to be done different you have to change the way you're thinking on these things to make sure you're a successful basketball program moving forward because look Auburn's not going to get better than Bruce Pearl in today's age of college basketball he's just not Bruce Pearl is built to be the Auburn head coach Auburn doesn't want to get anybody different Auburn fans don't want anybody different than Bruce Pearl we don't want anybody different than Bruce Pearl but things have to change and I think adjustments have to be made if he wants to continue to grow and be successful I think that there are these years that Bruce has that teaches him different lessons one of them was that year where he his point guards were Justin Powell who you weren't sure was an actual point guard and Sharif Cooper and they played zero games healthy or eligible together and I think he he learned from that and he said okay I'm gonna always make sure I have guys who can handle the basketball, and I'm not having to play an Allen Flanagan at point guard. I think this year is the year that Bruce watched what happened around him in the SEC and around the country and realized, I can't be as loyal as I've been. I've got to be a little more ruthless like some of these other guys who are pumping out Elite Eights and Final Four caliber teams year in and year out. I hope so, and we're going to find out with roster management and all sorts of stuff when it comes to Bruce Pearl in the offseason for Auburn basketball. we got to get to our final break here in hour number one. We'll get to the phone lines when we come back, wrapping up hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Let's get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Ty the Tiger, you're on the line. We appreciate you holding on. You got a few minutes, man. What's up? Oh, man. Um, so, first of all, I just wanted to say, you know, it looks like if anybody who actually pays attention, you know, we, we saw what happened. Saturday, uh, we've seen those spurts in every single loss in a couple wins. Auburn just goes on this this brain fart of a of a of an offense of just jacking up threes, um, not hustling on defense, and it usually lasts about you know a good five to ten minutes of the game, and it seemed like it just lasted the entire second half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, that one point, like, I, you know, you knew, you know, look, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying, you know, you have to, but if you're a betting man and you didn't go in there and took Houston on a live bet, to, you know, at halftime, not knowing they were going to come out and be on fire. I mean, you were stupid. You knew that. I, I do think it has a little bit to do with Bruce. You got to have your team a little bit more fired up, ready to come out at halftime ahead by 10 against the number one. I mean, we came out looking flat. But you cannot blame Bruce for two for 20. At one point, when they were up by 12, they showed a uh, stat for Auburn. We were two for 20 from field goals and about 50% on free throws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, Bruce can, Bruce can't control that. I mean, that's – that's. I mean, you, you can't, can't shoot, you can't shoot, that. man. You're either going to shoot good or you're not going to shoot good. And it wasn't our day. And I'm not – you know, look, I'm not trying to – toss anybody out of Auburn I'm not trying to tell them to hit the road Jack don't come look back you know you know I still love our guys but it just happened you know um 
you know, I, I, I'm get, you know, I, I didn't get, I didn't catch the before y'all really started talking about it earlier, but I'm guessing this has this does have a lot to do with uh, Wendell Green's post and kind of what he said. I, I mean, did y'all talk about that? Did y'all see that? We we've seen it. Uh, we, haven't we haven't gotten to that yet. point yet, and and I think today was more focused on the game itself and throughout the rest of this week and as the off season goes on. Ty, those conversations will be had about what this roster is going to look like. Terry called in earlier asking about what type of turnover we may see, and we think it'll be pretty drastic. Well, here's my thing, guys. I, I just look. I, I love the Auburn family. Um, you know, little little snippet just to tell y'all i grew up a bama fan oh ty what i'm an auburn fan now (laughs) (laughs) but i mean look i grew up a bama fan and i I asked myself one day why am i a bama fan because my dad told me to like alabama i love auburn i love being school here i love here there you go it wouldn't help it wasn't it didn't hurt that my first year in college was oh four Wow. <laughs> so you, you had a little bit of an influence then, okay? Oh man, that converted the hell out of me, man. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. But anyway, when I say that, is we just have some of the worst fans, man. We just we 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 you know I mean guys, we've got to remember we're now we're here talking about Bruce and this and that. I mean, you know, Bruce has brought us to be this, I guess, kind of spoiled in this basketball uh, state of mind we have. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, and, 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 and then to say something about these kids who go out there and put their life on I mean, not their life online, but just put it put it all out there. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, man. You know, look, we we, 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 we we wasn't talking about basketball six years ago. Right. Enjoy what we have. Don't you don't come in here and, and bash these kids and bash our coach. I mean, you know, that's that look, now Gus, I will say Gus had a little bit more problems than, than what Bruce and he wasn't doing the certain things that he needed to do. But I do have a big factor into that hurt Gus to recruit people. Right. And so if we keep doing that, and now we've turned into that in basketball. Yeah. I mean, pretty soon kids aren't going to want to come in for basketball. Yeah, you're, that, you're 100% right, Ty. And the fan base has to back the program because recruits see those things on social media. Ty, we're up against the break, man. It's great to hear from you. We appreciate the call. 334-321-1390. We roll into hour number two. The following is an Auburn Network production. Live on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Monday, March 20th, 2023. Hour number one of the Monday edition of On the Line is in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two is underway right here on ESPN 106.7. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on a beautiful 
Monday afternoon in the Auburn Opelika area. If you missed any of the first hour, you can check us out on the podcast at ESPNAU.com and you'll find a commercial free right there right after the show or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. Talked a lot about the uh, NCAA tournament. We didn't get to all the games. We're going to do that here coming up in just a few minutes. Also started getting into the Auburn and Houston game as well that happened on Saturday night. Uh, We have some more things to say about that. And so we'll talk about that. Had a couple of good phone calls in the first hour. Uh, No guest. Joey Blackwell uh, was out today, so he did not join us, but he will be back with us next Monday. But coming up here in hour number two, we're going to have Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network at 3.30. We'll get his thoughts on Auburn basketball season coming to an end. A uh, disappointing weekend for Auburn baseball and softball and everything else going on in the world of Auburn athletics. So that's coming up at 3.30, but until then, phone line remain open we'd love to hear from you our listeners 334-321-1390 about anything on your mind in the sports world college basketball Auburn and Houston and what uh what needs to happen to this Auburn team in the offseason we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 and before we get into before we get into some more conversation, did want to shout out again. Uh, over the weekend, uh, us here at Auburn Network had the opportunity to attend the Abbey Awards up in Birmingham. It is the Alabama Broadcaster Association, the uh, statewide broadcasting awards for television and radio. And Auburn Networks, uh, we pulled four Abbey Awards this weekend uh, statewide. And so uh, Ben Taylor on News Talk WANI, that's 987, uh, his show, Auburn Opelika this morning won best talk show Donnie B over on Wings 94.3 he won personality of the year and a best morning show in the state of Alabama and then here on ESPN 106.7 our good friends Bill Cameron and Dan Peck of The Drive from 4 to 6 they won their second Abbey for best sports talk show and so congratulations to uh, everybody here at Auburn Network and uh, especially Bill and Dan of The Drive they won the Abbey for Uh, best sports talk show here in the state of Alabama their second win uh, for the drive of course Bill has been uh, in the Auburn radio business for uh, he's been here for a long time and he is a veteran in this business in this town and so congratulations to uh, both of them and uh, and again everybody here at Auburn Networks for winning uh, some Abbeys this weekend and so again congratulations to them definitely wanted to shout that out again that uh, Auburn Networks pulled a lot of awards this weekend from the mm-hmm. ABA and so congratulations to them and Bill and Dan of the drive but let's get into some more basketball here in hour number two as we look at the scores from around uh, the NCAA tournament over the weekend Saturday and Sunday the big second round matchups uh, saw some interesting matchups some really big coaching matchups and some surprising results around college basketball We'll talk more Auburn-Houston later on. Uh, Alabama handled business, man. They handled business against Maryland, where it looked like Maryland had a chance there early in that second half. You mentioned this in the first hour. Only down by five, 28-23. You hold Alabama to 28 points and a half. You've got to be feeling good if you're Maryland, but couldn't slow them down in the second half. They outscore them 45-28 to in the Crimson Tide, get a 22-point win in the second round. Yeah, I mean, you cut it to five with 17 and a half minutes left, and, I mean, just a few minutes later, I felt like there was a shift in the body language for Maryland. Maryland, all of a sudden, did not um, look like a team that 
thought it could beat that Alabama team. And so you saw, I mean, they didn't shoot well. Neither team shot particularly great in this game. Um, but when Maryland goes, a Maryland team that probably needs to shoot the ball pretty well from deep in order to have success, uh, they only take eight three-point attempts, only made one of them. So uh, it just was not, they did not shoot well at the free throw line either, 12 of 21. Maryland didn't do the little things you needed to do to stick in that game, uh, especially in the second half. I was disappointed in a team that is senior-laden, uh, led by there's a group of five seniors on that team. That That's the really, big thing for me, yeah. Yeah, that really um, show you I've seen them at their best. I think they're capable of beating just about anybody in the country, and I thought that they just did not show you that effort yeah. in, in that game, and it was disappointing. Alabama advances uh, where they're going to take on the the uh, San Diego State Aztecs. Ooh. Um, <laughs> you know, the Mountain West – Last year in the tournament, I think they got four or five teams in. It took them 10 hours to be eliminated from the tournament. Uh, this year, you saw San Diego State flirt with it because the other three Mount West teams lost on the opening day of the tournament. San Diego State survived against College of Charleston. They beat Furman, and now they're matched up. I think that the San Diego State can give Alabama a little bit of trouble. I don't think they can beat them. They've got the physicality, I think, to do it. And they showed that in their in their uh, second-round game, did San Diego State. And so we'll see. I just, I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, and as we go through some of these scores and we preview the Sweet 16 a little bit as we get through the week, the problem is, at this point, if you're an Auburn fan, when you look at the rest of the teams in this tournament – there's no confidence in any of these teams to beat Alabama in 40 minutes unless they just shoot lights out and you hold Alabama to under 70. Like, you have to find a way to hold them under 70 points. Maryland did a great job defensively. They just couldn't score. And when you look at the teams in the Sweet 16, there's just no confidence from me that could anybody could beat Alabama for 40 minutes. Now, anything is possible, and we'll talk about those things as we go on through the week. How about another SEC squad? Arkansas, the 8th seed, taking down the one-seeded Kansas, 72-71. Uh, Eric Musselman is, like you mentioned earlier, on the verge with one more victory, taking Arkansas to its third straight Elite Eight. And Kansas was without Bill Self again in this game. Their uh, Hall of Fame head coach on the sidelines with some medical things uh, going on. And in a one-point game, it's just so hard not to leave that factor out because you like to think that Bill Self could have coached this team a little bit to get them over the hump. Not saying we technically wanted Arkansas to lose or anything, but you just look at a one-seed Kansas who was trying to go back-to-back and they lose by one with their head coach not available. Yeah, I tell you what, I was impressed with Arkansas's ability to handle an Illinois team that I thought had a high ceiling, had yet to put it together this year. Uh, that game was a bit of a rock fight. Uh, for it being a 73-63 school, score, both teams shot below 38.5%, uh, below 30% from three. Um, and Arkansas went on a nice little run at the end of the game to to extend that lead to 10. Uh, great job handling that game by them, um, and a great comeback at the very end of that Kansas game. Kansas kind of um, continually held the lead. There were some ties. There's maybe a moment or two where Arkansas took the lead, uh, but Kansas with 349 left had a three-point lead. Arkansas closed extremely well, uh, and they pulled away a win there. 
My concern with this Arkansas team is they continue to not shoot the three well. They are not a good three-point shooting team at all. No, they and are. It is, they're one of the worst teams in the country at shooting threes. They, I mean, we we watched them against Auburn. They were just. It was just. They made a house of bricks out in that game. I think they made like one or two threes the entire game. They're three hundred eighteenth in three-point shooting. Uh, I do worry about that if they run into some of these other teams that can shoot it a little bit from deep as we move forward. One of those um, teams being Texas, who is yeah. a really, really good team, uh, who and even beat UConn, Penn State, and even UConn. UConn's yeah. uh, yeah. a top 70 team in the country at three-point percentage. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we know we know Alabama may not be the most efficient three-point shooting team, but they shoot a lot of them. Um, so they're going to get theirs. I, I do worry about that with this this Arkansas team. Granted, if Arkansas just go gets crazy hot from from three, maybe they go on a nice little run here. And maybe we could be talking about a Final Four Arkansas team for the first time under Musselman. Yeah, it'd be interesting. How about, uh, I know it's a, a sore subject, but your seven-seeded Northwestern falls just short to two-seeded UCLA, 68-63, to a game where they were down by 10 at the half. And with as good as UCLA is, defensively when you get down double digits it's just hard to come back against that squad Northwestern did everything they could though they closed the gap they do lose by five though they really got after UCLA in the second half I was really proud of it the way that they fought because they did not shoot well in the first game against Boise State Northwestern shot the ball really really well and that's why they were able to keep Boise State at a distance the entire game they did not shoot well uh, against UCLA, below 40%, below 30% from three. But they kind of got after them. You got a great performance out of Matthew Nicholson, Boo Booey, Chase Aldish combined for 29 points. Uh, they tied it at 45. And almost immediately, I got a text from a buddy of mine being like, how about your Wildcats? And then it just kind of just slowly started to <laughs> So you can blame him if fade, you want to. Fade away after that. Yeah, I'm going to. Trust me, I am going to. Um, Jaime Jaquez is so good what a player he is Um, man what a player he is if if he if he continues to play well even with UCLA being shorthanded with their best defensive player out for the tournament he could be a guy that could carry UCLA to a final four you know it's tough to lose a game by five where the opposing team hits one field goal in the last six five minutes basically um there the the singleton three that put it to six was kind of the the kiss of death in this game a whole lot of free throws for that ucla team i think they're really good defensively i think they played a really underrated northwestern team that gave them everything they wanted um that'd be a sneaky team that i think uh might go to the final four yeah a team that maybe hasn't blown you away i mean they played unc Asheville, and unc Asheville was not ready for that game um, struggled a little bit with Northwestern. I know they get Gonzaga. I think they're gonna gonna finally give you what you what you've been begging for this entire tournament, which is to send uh, Gonzaga packing. We can only hope. We can only hope, and we'll get to that in just a second. You continue moving down some of these games from over the weekend. SEC continued to do well. Tennessee taking down what was the hottest team coming into the tournament. What was a very popular Final Four pick in the Duke Blue Devils. Tennessee just bullied Duke. They just yeah. bullied them, and they beat them 65-52. John Shire's first the year. Lead the entire second. They, they take yeah. the lead with 348 left in the first half and never give it back. Yeah, Duke cuts it to two points in the second half, and then Kentucky or uh, Tennessee 
kind of spreads it back out, back mm-hmm. out to about that 10-point margin and kept it there for the rest of the game. Yeah, so John Shire's first year at Duke comes to an end in the second round. Uh, I liked him, though, man. I really do. I think I'm interested to see. I've said this about multiple schools, multiple coaches who take over historic programs after a Hall of Famer retires. In the next three to four years is where you're really going to see how good John Shire is when Coach K's guys are not there and he recruits and all of that, but Duke's going to be just fine. Tennessee, believe it or not, they can't score, but they're in the Sweet 16. And without Sakai Ziegler, they're playing well, and Tennessee, the Vols, are into the Sweet 16. How about Princeton, the 15 seed in the Sweet 16, taking down Missouri by 15 points, 78-63. to 63. Dominated Missouri on Saturday, the Princeton Tigers moving on to the Sweet 16. Just so shocked by that performance. I thought I thought Missouri was going to get it done in that game. Um, what an opportunity that was for them. Yeah, they, they, they didn't shoot it well at all. They didn't get to the free throw line against an Ivy League school. You would expect uh, an SEC team to to go in with the mindset of, okay, we're, we're stronger, we're more athletic, we're going to drive the basketball and get to the free throw line. They only go to the line seven times. Princeton goes to the line 15 times in the game. Uh, they get out-rebounded by 14. That's so bad. That's so bad. And you would think Missouri would say, hey, we have a Kobe Brown and you don't, and we're going to take advantage of that. But they didn't. And Princeton beats them by 15. To quickly get through some of the scores from yesterday that wrapped up the second round, we mentioned uh, Michigan State and Tom Izzo, Mr. March, taking down Marquette, which was uh, my national championship pick. And so there goes Marquette. That destroyed any bracket I had and a lot of people's brackets. The best team out of the Big East gets knocked out before the the Sweet 16. That was a tough scene uh, there okay. for Marquette. There's room for you on the Creighton bandwagon, buddy. Hey, I, I like Creighton, man. And uh, look, I did not believe in them, but I've kept picking them and they have turned it on like I said they would, or I've hoped they would, I guess. And here they are, Creighton. We'll talk about that one. They beat Baylor 85-76 in command the entire way. They, they, they beat Baylor from start to finish. So good for the Creighton Blue Jays. UConn, they dominate St. Mary 70-55. Gonzaga comes back late last night to beat TCU. The Horned Frogs played a really, really good game, but you give up 51 points in the second half. And look, Drew Timmy and Gonzaga, they're too good at times, man. Timmy had 28 points and eight rebounds. I mean, you got to find a way to stop him. He took over late. The Zags moving on to the Sweet 16, 84 to 81. Xavier out of the Big East scared me there for a little bit, but they did end up pulling it off and beating Pitt out of the terrible ACC. Kansas State out of the Big 12 taking down John Calipari and Kentucky. The rumblings in Lexington maybe starting up a little bit again. They did make Where's it to the go? tournament. Providence, <laughs> maybe. No. They ain't going to Texas because they they should be giving that that job to that interim head they coach. They better. They absolutely better because of what Texas is doing there. So Kentucky is knocked out of the tournament, seventy five sixty nine. Miami. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't know what this Miami team is, but they come back and beat Indiana last night, 85-69, taking out one of, if not the best players in college basketball, Trace Jackson Davis, who we said on Friday, other guys have to step up. He cannot carry them through this tournament, and Miami put it on him late, 85-69. Yeah, that game was really competitive back and forth, and then just like that, it felt like it switched, and it felt like Miami just ran away with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a little surprised by that. I thought Trace Jackson Davis had a good game. Um, 
I thought there was room for him to have a truly great game. Uh, he still had 23, 8, and 5 blocks. I mean, pretty daggum good. But with how good of a passer he is, I'm a little shocked that he only had one assist in that game. How do you see him doing at the next level? I think he's skilled enough um, with the way that he can pass, the way that he can facilitate, and his just athleticism. Somebody's going to take him, and he's going to do well. I don't know if he's ever going to be a star or right. anything, but I think he's going to be a solid player. I mean, if... In my mind, if a guy like Grant Williams can stick in the NBA as long as he can, granted, Trace Jackson Davis is not a three-point shooting guy. Uh, Grant Williams has had to add that to his game more and more. Which has been very spotty as of late, but that's okay. <laughs> and his free throw shooting as well. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. I don't want to talk <laughs> Sorry, about it. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, ruin oh, that for you. Yeah. Yeah, but we're, we're, we're talking about a guy who, um, in his 40 years at Indiana, took three threes and missed all three of them. Um, if he can add something like that to his game, I could see him be a guy that sticks in the NBA for a very long time. Yeah. I think he's that athletic and that skilled in everything else he does. He's he's great at he's got great timing at blocking shots. Uh, he's got great post moves. He uses his athleticism, his passing, his vision as a big man passing is about mm-hmm. as good as any big man in the country this year. I watched him almost put together a couple triple doubles on Northwestern. I was like, holy cow, this guy is special. He's really good. And I I think he'll be a role player in the NBA. Like you said, probably not the go-to superstar, but can get a pretty good paycheck in the NBA. And then the last game, the Florida Atlantic Owls. Moving on to the Sweet 16 for the first time in program history. They end the very quick run for 16-seeded Fairleigh Dickinson, America's I mean, sweetheart. It's not that very quick. They won a first four game and beat. Yeah, which is Purdue. fair. Which is absolutely they fair. Won, and they won more games than over half the field in this tournament. <laughs> yeah, and so look, credit to them, Fairleigh Dickinson. A good, uh, a good effort from them. Uh, very, very fun little thing that they did. Not a little thing, man. They beat Purdue, the number one seed in the tournament. So um, good for them, man. Good for Fairleigh Dickinson. Their coach after the game, he said, I'm looking forward to going fishing, is what he said in his post-game press conference. He said, I'm looking forward to going fishing. And I'm like, that is a man that deserves to go out and fish for the next week and not think about life. So good for him, man. Uh, But Fairleigh Dickinson does fall 78-70. to I think um, because of what... FAU did at the very end of that game. I think they are they have moved to number two oh, on my list so of teams bad. I want to lose. So bad. Oh, it was horrible. Elijah Martin at the end of the game, nine seconds left, up like what? How You're, many up nine. You're up You're by nine. You're up by eight. eight. Yeah. Yeah, it's the final score. And um fairly Dickinson's not fouling, like they're conceding the game. He gets them to pass him the ball full length of the court and tries to do a three sixty dunk and throws it off the back of the rim. It was just kind of classless. I thought it was a, I thought it was a joke. Yeah, he and took I, a running start like somebody in the high jump and track does. You know, they start at an angle, and they come in. This dude took a running start and windmilled it and just clanked it off the back iron. And the I FAU thought, coach... Huh? I thought it was really poor form, but I hated it. It's just like, come on, man. It's unnecessary. Like, it's very unnecessary. And the FAU coach apologized. He apologized to Fairleigh Dickinson in the in the handshake line. He apologized. He was like, and he got onto him to the player before they got into the free or to the um, to the handshake line. So yeah, um, not the great decision, but it, it is what it is. So that's the results from the second round of the NCAA tournament. When we come back, we'll have question of the day, and phone lines are still open. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Question of the day when we come back. You 
are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Question of the day here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Coming out of the first and second round of the NCAA tournament, Carter, your favorite storyline so far in this NCAA tournament, it can be upsets, it can be surprise teams, it could be dominating teams, what player, a coach, a fan base, whatever. What's your favorite storyline as of right now coming out of the second round of the NCAA tournament? Uh, I mean, I, I think you got to first look at 15 seed Princeton out of the Ivy League uh, becoming, I think there's like seven or eight total Sweet 16 Ivy League teams um, ever. Apparently, the Ivy League was dominant in the like 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, which Heck is yeah. funny. <laughs> uh, I, I I looked this up the, the the other day. You've had like you had different runs where like Dartmouth and um, all these other random schools. Like yeah, Dartmouth went to five Final Fours early in the tournament, uh, including four straight from 41 to 44. That's back when it was like. Eight very, or sixteen yeah, teams very, in the tournament, very, very limited tournament, yeah. and then they went to one in fifty-eight as well. Um, Penn went to three straight Elite Eight um, appearances, and, or three Elite Eight appearances, two in a row uh, in seventy-one, seventy-two. Like you've got a couple random little moments where you've had these teams go to the Sweet Sixteen, uh, including Princeton, who went to the Elite Eight in sixty-five, um, but you don't see. You don't see these Ivy League schools go deep in the tournament like this, especially as a 15 seed, because you know they're the 11th 15 seed to ever win a first round game. So that's not a lot of opportunities. Yeah. So credit to this team um, for beating that Arizona team and then beating that Missouri team. Um, I do wonder if it eventually runs out because they got Creighton this week. Um, I really hope we don't end up with an Alabama-Princeton matchup because I'm really worried about what that could look like. Well, that comes back to what we (laughs) were looking at this bracket when it was released the day after Selection Sunday was when you looked at Alabama's bracket, now credit, they are the number one overall seed and they should have the easiest path given off of regular season success. But we looked at this bracket and we said, and I know I did particularly, there's not a whole lot of threats in Alabama's bracket and I still think that remains with a San Diego State matchup in the Sweet 16 where Alabama again there's just that's that's the storyline I'm going to talk about I think San Diego State's better built to give them a tougher game than like a Virginia would have been as the four seed in that region I think I think San Diego like if I were to pick a most difficult path for this Alabama team I would have picked well obviously A&M, Corpus Christi, they had to play them. I would have picked Maryland over West Virginia. I mean, it didn't play play out that way, but I thought that that Maryland team was better built to give Alabama a game. Granted, they I mean, they just quit, and I, I don't think there's any other way to cut that. I think San Diego State would have been of the potential options in that uh, Sweet 16 game. I think I would have picked San Diego State out of the, the four options there. And then if we're looking at an Elite Eight game, I would have picked Creighton or I would have picked Arizona with Missouri kind of third on that list because yeah. we know Missouri's played a couple tough games despite the glaring length mismatch that 
Missouri has against Alabama? Yeah, I would have picked Creighton or Arizona, probably. Um, but again, I think that's, I would have picked Creighton, though. Yeah. I, I like so that Creighton the, team. The path is still there for the toughest version? I don't know. I mean, if Alabama just plays Alabama basketball, they're looking at a Final Four if they play well. But when we come back, Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network joins us to talk all things Auburn athletics. Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067, joined by Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, who joins us every Monday at 3.30. Hillman, how are you feeling today? Because outside of women's basketball, it hasn't been the best stretch of Auburn athletics victory-wise over the last few days. Hey, look, we're making it. It's still great to be an Auburn Tiger, even if outside it's, you know, the first day of spring it was like 30 degrees this morning. You know, that was a weird thing to wake up to. But, you know, we're making it. It's, it's still something like, for example, the middle, the spring sports, baseball, softball, still have a chance to rebound and do their thing. Women's basketball is doing its thing. Gymnastics also. Uh, is in the postseason now so there are still some things to look forward to as far as Auburn athletics are concerned Jacob when uh before we get into everything with Auburn I'm just I'm curious just how busted is your bracket yeah destroyed it's actually <laughs> not the worst thing in the world I thought you I've so I ended up thinking I think UCLA is gonna win the national championship that's that's still holding that could happen uh, so it's not the worst thing in the world. What I'm hearing is I can start telling people that Northwestern was the second best team in America. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hillman, let's get into let's get into Auburn basketball in Birmingham. Uh, you guys were there. The Auburn Sports Network was there on the sidelines, calling the game as Auburn took on Houston in the second round after defeating Iowa in the first round. What did you see courtside Saturday night in Birmingham as Auburn falls to Houston after having a 10-point lead at the half? They end up losing by double digits to the one-seeded Houston. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, you saw the dream scenario in the first half, going up by 10 points and, and, and really good offense, especially at the end of that first half. There was a nice 10 nothing run that uh, extended that lead to 10 points. and it, it, it was something that you looked at and you think, man, this momentum's got to carry over into the second half. And Obviously, it didn't, and I don't know if Auburn really needed to make any adjustments, and I thought you still had a good game plan in that second half. The looks just weren't falling, and obviously the free-throw shooting, and I think Houston on the offensive end figured some things out uh, that really helped them get that lead because as bad as Auburn shot in the second half, it still took a little while for Houston to get that lead and, and extend it to, to a few possessions where you felt, man, this, the Auburn offense wasn't going to be able to overcome that deficit. So it, it really was something where the offense just didn't come through when it needed to. And like I said, I thought things, I thought the game plan was fine. I thought Auburn was getting the looks it needed. It just, there was a lid on the basket, whether it was from the free throw line or even just from the field. You can't go more than 10 minutes against anyone, much less a one mm-hmm. seed without recording a field goal. Yeah, and then with with the way that Auburn shot the free throw as poorly as they did, it's definitely difficult. But just how shocked were you? I mean, with the way Auburn finished the first half, hitting 
Uh, six of the final eight shots. Um, I think eight of the final 12. I mean, I think it's really – they shot so well in the first half. They looked – the offensive possessions looked so good. Were you How shocked were you that the flow of the offense really felt like it broke down and they struggled to get back in, in, in a rhythm light as, as, as difficult of a time as they had getting back in any sort of a rhythm in that second half? Yeah, it was wild because, like you said, you just felt so good going at the half, and you thought that you could really reinforce that during the 20-minute break and come out and, and continue playing strongly. So really just – and like, like I was saying, I think Auburn still got the looks that it wanted. I think that one thing you might have wanted to change was the fact that Wendell Green Jr. shot zero free throws. And Auburn really tried to get him to the free throw line by letting him drive, but I thought Houston did a really good job at just – not not being too physical, and they obviously committed a lot of fouls. I mean, I think they had four guys with uh, four-plus fouls, including one guy fouling out, and it mm-hmm. was their three best players, Sasser, Shed, and Walker. And when yeah. you have those three guys with four fouls, you think Auburn has a great chance to win, including Juwan Roberts, who fouled out. But Walker also had six blocks, and Roberts had five blocks. So I think they take those fouls because they got 11 compliant blocks, and it, it, it's something that – I think really uh, disrupted the flow of Auburn's offense. And, and while they still got good looks, uh, not being able to get your guards to the free throw line as often as you wanted to uh, does, does impact that for sure. Speaking with Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network about the game on Saturday between Auburn and Houston, you mentioned free throw shooting the guards, lack of getting to the free throw line. Uh, but this guy, he got there quite a bit, Hillman, just couldn't knock him down. Janai Broom struggling at the free throw line, goes 6 of 16. And something that I've talked about this year, it really laid down the stretch, was I actually felt confident in Janai Broom when he mm-hmm. stepped to the free throw line because he had proven that, no, he wasn't shooting 100%, but he was knocking them down pretty consistently for a big man. But losing 10 points at the free throw line from Janai Broom on Saturday night had to play into the to the loss for Auburn. Yeah, yeah you're, you're exactly right. And, and like you said, late in the season, you, you just feel good when, when Janai went to the free throw line. And, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but there's something from the first X amount of games in the season versus the last X amount of games in the season where his free throw percentage skyrocketed. And it, it looks really good for a center and a guy that was going to the line as much as he was. So it, it, it was really unfortunate to see him uh, and not really be able to find it in the second half, especially on Saturday. And and, and really, it, it wasn't just him. There, there were other guys. And I, I just think that it, you really have to look at it more from the, the from the field. I think that, yes, the free throws do really, really damage your chances to win. And, and when you miss uh, 17 and you lose by 17, that, that, that that's really tough mm-hmm. to look at. But I, I just seriously think that, you know, you go four for 24 in the second half, and that's really the number to look at. And as I said, and I'll say it again, you had the looks, the, the shots just weren't falling, and, and really just credit to Houston because, like I said, I think that, that, that the offense really improved for them in the second half, and then the defensive game plan uh, was just to swat all those shots without fouling Wendell Green Jr., for example, and, and, and even some of the other guys. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. think Flanagan had some, had some looks where I thought – oh, there's a chance at him getting fouled, and he didn't. So that, that that's a tough one to play. Yeah, it definitely was uh, frustrating. But this is two years in a row where Auburn has fallen in the round of 32, uh, and the second halves have not been very pretty. I feel like the body language 
Uh, at a certain point, uh, this Auburn team is this Auburn team on the court has gotten down on themselves. Um, what can they do going forward to to kind of correct that and get back to some of these deeper tournament runs like the Final Four year that we saw a few years back? And uh, what what hope can you give the Auburn fan base for Auburn basketball moving forward? Well, I think the first name is Aiden Holloway. That is the first thing you can look at. And uh, I mean, he's a scorer. He's a tall guard. And- and, and that's someone that's going to make an immediate impact when he is in the Auburn lineup. And obviously, we know how the transfer portal is nowadays. And you're seeing names floating around that uh, that Auburn has been reported to contact already. So that I think that's the biggest thing is uh, Coach Pearl's already on the recruiting trail. He's already reaching out to guys and, and, and looking for ways to uh, just improve this Auburn offense. I think that's, that's obviously the thing you're looking at moving forward is finding that elite scorer that you could get the ball to uh, in crunch time. And, and whenever you're going through a 10-minute drought that you hopefully never have again and, and, and just able to get that, that guy the ball and you're tr- able to trust him uh, to get things back on the right track. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network will switch gears here. Did want to mention that uh, the Auburn women's basketball team playing in the NIT, making a trip over to Clemson, South Carolina for it's the second round of the NIT, correct? That is correct, yes. All right. Well, I did want to at least mention that they are are making a trip. So uh, not in the uh, the NCAA tournament, but they are in the NIT tournament, which is still postseason basketball. And so uh, credit to uh, the Auburn women's basketball team. But to sort of get to ba- uh, baseball and softball, a couple of uh, uh, it's a rough weekend for both of these squads. Baseball uh, goes on the road to Fayetteville and they get swept by Arkansas. And then softball, uh, they go and play in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame Classic. They pick up a game to start off but then they drop four straight to two to Northwestern and two to the number one team in the country Oklahoma I know you were covering basketball Saturday but on Friday and Sunday what'd you see for both baseball and softball yeah and I think when you look at the rough weekend it's kind of a lack of offense that was 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 the the issue for the Tigers and and you get a few leads I think in Let's see, there were eight losses total. And I think in three or four of the games, you had a lead, and including yesterday, softball had a one nothing lead off of Nelia Peralta, lead off home run against uh, against number one Oklahoma. And, you know, combining both of them kind of in the same vein, because what I saw was the same thing was you get a little spark at the beginning of these games, but then you're not able to follow it up with uh, more big innings, whether, whether it's baseball getting a, a home run for Bryson Ware in the third inning or or these one-run innings here and there, it's the same thing with softball. So I think the offense, uh, just being able to find more consistency and bigger innings uh, for both of those teams is something that you can look forward uh, going forward, and that's how these teams will find success. Because I don't think uh, the pitching, like, for example, the the, the loss to Oklahoma on Saturday, where it's 14-0, that's going to happen against that Oklahoma team. That program is, is head and shoulders above anyone else in the nation and they're the 73 war, 73 win warriors right it, it, it's incredible so um to, re, to that that second game when you you take a 2-1 deficit into the fifth inning and then you give up the four runs that that it, it's tough because you felt like you were in that game you had a chance but the offense just wasn't able to get going now as far as baseball goes you come back home after a weekend you're playing in almost sub-freezing temperatures in Fayetteville and and really, you're still not 100%. No Joseph Gonzalez, no Bobby Pierce over the weekend. And uh, you hope that having those guys back at some point 
will provide a spark for them, and 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 um, and the team's able to really just find something consistently offensively. That, that's what I'm going to keep going back to because I think that you saw some flashes from uh, the pitching staff and the defense, Tanner Bauman and, and and Drew Nelson. They both had really good appearances in relief over the weekend uh, against the Razorbacks. Uh, just the offense not able to back it up. So how can these the softball program and the baseball program get things back on track? We know the softball program is uh, – they get to come back home. They get to take on Missouri this weekend. And the baseball team, they're in action tomorrow night in Montgomery against the South Alabama program that has the tendency to be uh, a little bit of a handful for some teams. And then they are back at home against Georgia. What needs to happen for both of these programs to get back on track? Yeah, I'll start with softball. And I think that this week off without any midweek games, I think it'll be good after uh, another long five-game stretch on the road and and coming back home uh, Saturday through Monday series, so you're not even playing Friday night. It is an extended break. Uh, they're primetime games. Uh, two of them are on SEC Network, and I think just having that home game again, because you go back a couple weeks ago, you have that series opening win against Georgia that looks really good, 6-5. to five. Go back to more of that, and if you're able to string together innings like you did in Athens, uh, it's going to be a good weekend against Missouri at J.B. Moore Field. Now for baseball, it does start – uh, tomorrow night against South Alabama. I think last year in this same matchup in Montgomery, I think Auburn fell behind big early on and able to claw its way back. And, and it was a wild, wild game. Like you said, those in-state opponents are always tough. They give you the, they give you heck of a fight every time you play them. But really, again, it's going to be it's not going to be SEC pitching. So you want to see the offense uh, find a rhythm and and spark something leading into this uh, SEC home opener coming up on Thursday, and that's the thing. It's the opposite of softball. It's a quick turnaround as far as the SEC goes uh, for for the baseball team and having to play Thursday through Saturday. So um, sparking something on uh, on Tuesday could really lead into a big Thursday and hopefully the rest of the weekend. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. He joins us every Monday at 3.30 right here on On the Line. Man, we appreciate you and your time every single week coming on here and talking about all things Auburn athletics and uh, gymnastics also you mentioned mm-hmm. is in the uh, NCAAs after SEC tournament action this weekend. Yeah, that's, that, that, is good. that is a tough regional that yes. uh, the Tigers have going to UCLA. Everyone knows about Jordan Child. She is one of the best gymnasts in the nation. Uh, Utah has never missed the national championship, and then Missouri's a team that Auburn uh, fell to earlier this season. So um, the gymnastics team has its work cut out for them this weekend. Jacob Hillman, again, of the Auburn Sports Network, man. Good to talk to you, and uh, we appreciate you and your time. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you guys got going on at the Auburn Sports Network. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU. It's, it, it, it's, it's calming down a little bit, but it's still a little bit busy going on uh, yeah, tune in tonight, 545 Central. Britt Bowen and Dr. Larry DeShera have the call for women's basketball at Clemson WNIT. Looking to, uh, Coach Jay looking to keep that run going in the WNIT. Sounds good, man. Hey, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Thanks for having me on, guys. War Eagle. That is Jacob Hillman again of the Auburn Sports Network. He joins us on Mondays here on On the Line talking all things Auburn athletics as uh, winter sports wrapping up with women's basketball in the NIT and spring sports really getting into uh, the heart of conference play. Baseball, softball looking to bounce back after a rough weekend for both of them. We'll come back and wrap up the Monday edition of On the Line. You are on the line. 
on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. couple of minutes left here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Big thank you to uh, Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network joining us as he does every single Monday. Again, if you missed any of today's show, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. Did want to get a couple of uh, quotes and stuff in because Hugh Freeze uh, has stepped up to his presser uh, this afternoon. Right now he is uh, up talking with the media over at the uh, Athletics Complex about the scrimmage on Friday and just sort of what is going on in the spring so far. So do want to get you a couple of quotes from Hugh Freeze, and this is going to be from a lot of the Auburn beat, Justin Ferguson, Brian Stoltz, uh, Justin Hokinson, all these, all those guys that are over there right now uh, just tweeting out a bunch of the quotes. But here's what Hugh Freeze said on the quarterback room. It says, quote, I wish we were further along with our quarterbacks and some of their inconsistencies with the RPO game. I think we might have to teach it a little differently, and that starts today. Uh, it's so there's something about the quarterbacks talked about them uh, not being where they need to be Uh, a couple of guys that are out so far for the spring uh, sounds like Tate Johnson uh, who is one of those players on the offensive line possible center maybe move him around just kind of depends he is out for the spring with a dislocated elbow and uh, Malcolm be painful yeah that that cannot feel good I don't even know how you do that but that can't be good Uh, and Malcolm Johnson uh, the wide receiver is also out for the spring expected to return in june with a collarbone injury yeah it's it's an interesting um kind of spring practice so far the way that they had one week then had uh spring break off now they're back i hear great things about justin rogers uh on the defensive line i hear great things about the defensive line so far in general mm-hmm. i think the offensive lines are much improved sounds like tj finley is uh ahead a little bit right now in the quarterback race but I think as you listen to Hugh Freeze's comments today there's a lot of work that needs to be done um a lot of um they have a long way to go wide receiver kind of similar yep. although Camden Brown I've heard great things Nick Martiner I've heard his catch radius is unreal at 6'6 mm-hmm. Uh, Rivalda Fairweather's been unbelievable as well from what I've heard. Yeah, the tweet from Lance Dahl, who uh, a friend of the program and uh, contributes to Auburn Daily. Uh, Free says that linebacker may be one of the only positions he feels like has made progress through the first six practices. Says Auburn may be a bit deeper in that unit than he anticipated. So, I mean, look, it's very early, but not great hmm. things to Interesting. I mean, so it sounds like... From what I've heard about linebacker, uh, Demario Tolan looks really good. I think Robert I like Woodyard has looked really good. I think Austin Keys has come along. Um, you already have Cam Riley there. DBs, I think they're going to be fine with the experience they have. I know they have some some injuries and stuff on the back end as well. Uh, but it sounds like Keontae Scott looks great. DJ James and Nehemiah Pritchett, I think they're running really well in that in that starting group at corner. Then you got Jalen Simpson and all sorts of guys at safety. Uh, I think that there's going to be some flexibility on the back end for Wesley McGriff and Zach Etheridge. Uh, But I expect guys like DJ James, Nehemiah Pritchett, and Keontae Scott to be out there Mm -hmm. almost every snap on defense this year. When asked about which players are stepping up as leaders, Tate Johnson, Jason Jones, and Elijah McAllister are the names that were mentioned from Hugh Freeze. That's not shocking about Elijah McAllister knowing who he is and uh, and what he was. I mean, he was a captain at 
Vanderbilt. So that's not shocking. Jason Jones, I've heard a lot of positive things about the way that he has stepped up uh, as a leader. Tate Johnson, I, I'm, I'm encouraged to see that. Um, I am curious how his injury and being out for the rest of the spring affects that because I do wonder how, if you're out for an extended amount of time. I wondered this about Chris Moore in basketball. When you're yeah. out and you're not on the quarter, you're not on the field, uh, how much does that affect your ability to be a leader? Apparently, he, uh, uh, head coach Hugh Freeze for Auburn has continuously talked about the quarterbacks not being where they need to be, not really progressing a whole lot. But sounds like this week at practice, he expects to change that. Sounds like the quarterback's going to get a lot of work this week. I've also heard fantastic things about um, talking about Elijah McAllister. I think he's looked really good. I think Keldrick Falk has looked unbelievable. And I, we, I and love we, Keldrick Falk. I forget which recruit it was. One of the recruits uh, gave an interview, and after it, he or after his visit, he's like. Keldrick Falk was just destroying everybody. They couldn't block him. He's so good, and he's so big and strong and fast. Mm -hmm. Love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as basketball is wrapped up for Auburn, spring practice is underway, and that'll be uh, a heavy part of conversation moving forward as A-Day comes up in a couple of weeks and we move into the summer. But we are out of time here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Come back tomorrow, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.